0: Can be satisfied. There is a peace. There is a love. You can get lost inside. Come to the fountain. Let me testify.
1: today. Uh, There are no announcements, uh, and so um, I don't have to apologize for anything that Brandon would say, which is awesome. Uh, So if you will, get up, greet one another, give elbows. Uh, There's some people right now watching online. Feel free to go wave to the camera. I think my Aunt Sue Lynn is watching today, and you can just wave right to her. So with that being said, you guys go for it. Get up, greet one another.
0: I like feel like a
1: to sing thy grace. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. The tuning process is not a simplistic one. It's one that requires stretching and discomfort. But God, I pray right now in this place that our hearts would be tuned to yours. Right now as we come to this place and we sing, Come thou fount. We pray that your Holy Spirit would wash over this place, would wash over our hearts, would fulfill this place, fulfill our hearts. Even when we don't see you, Father, we know you're working. Even, Even when we struggle to feel your presence, we know that you're working. And we find a comfort in that. This morning, we find a comfort in that in our lives. Thank you for your presence being here right now. We thank you for the journey that you've given us for the life, the adventure you placed us on, you created us to do beautiful things. You made all of us, you made all of us new. And I pray that with this newness, with this, with this opportunity that you've given us, God, that we would teach others. We would place our hope. We would place our strongholds in your word and your word alone. We'd be eager for your Holy Spirit to guide our steps, to guide our thoughts, to guide our words. Because you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. Father, that is who you are. You created us. Earth. So, God, I pray that we're humble. We're humble. We're
2: Good morning. All right. That's good. Good job, Finley. Good job, Finley. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9. I don't think we got near enough credit last week for making it all the way through an entire chapter uh, in the book of Hebrews. But, you know, whatever, Ward. We climbed that mountain together, you know, even if nobody wants to point it out. And so. Uh, but la- last week we we dove back into our journey through the letter to the Hebrews, and our focus has been on on how we look to Jesus and and the role that he serves uh, in our lives, and, and the reason uh, is that the writer has been focused for a few chapters now on uh, on exploring how Jesus serves a very specific role uh, in our hearts as. The great high priest and and this is important for us because uh, we need a priest who is capable of providing uh, the offering and the sacrifices that we need for the forgiveness of our sins and, and so so what sets Jesus apart from all other priests that the Jewish people had ever known is that the sacrifice that he offers is better in the sense that the sacrifice that he offers is himself, and and that that sacrifice is more complete. That sacrifice is more capable of, of not just covering sin for a season, but forgiving sin for a lifetime. And and so uh, when we arrived in in chapter eight last Sunday, we began began locking in on how Jesus. Brings us a better covenant than the old covenant that God was uh, that God made with the Israelites back in the Book of Exodus, and 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 the old covenant brought with it uh, the law and and the ritualistic uh, system of sacrifices, and it was contingent on uh, really obeying the law to maintain fellowship uh, with God. And, and what we saw last week was that. Uh, really, the Old Covenant served as as a placeholder in, until the time when uh, Jesus would come. And, and we spent a little bit of time, uh, as the writer of Hebrews connected us, back to Jeremiah chapter 31. And, and the New Covenant, which was revealed there, and, and how it would bring us mercy and it would bring us forgiveness based solely on the work of Jesus and and not our abilities to live in perfect holiness. Now, I say that to say that's important as we consider what the Father does to make our relationship with Him possible through Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And and now, where we're at this morning is going to be just kind of building on uh, some further explanation about the New Covenant and further explanation on on what Jesus does to serve as our mediator between us and, and our Heavenly Father as He draws us to the heart of God, so that when we do get to sing uh, songs of praise, as we, as we declare who God is and, and what Jesus has done for us, that those words would actually fit very nicely into the truth. And so uh, that's, that's kind of where we go uh, this morning. Let, let us pray. Father. We come to you, and we are thankful this morning for your son. We're thankful that that we get to look to him today, and we get to celebrate who we are in him, and we get to we get to know that that you love us not based on our worth, but based on His. And what we pray this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit is is very uh, singular and focused that we would be able to see. Jesus so much more clearly today, that we would understand this, this new covenant, and we would understand this, this role that he serves as our great high priest. And Father, for that, I pray that our hearts would be right with you, so that we could be open and attentive to what, to who you say we are, according to your word. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said... Amen. All right. Let's just read 14 verses. Does that sound good, Alan? We're just going to read 14 verses, and then we're going to take a nap, because that's a lot of reading. All right, so we'll start uh, chapter 9, verse 1. It simply says this. Now even, so we've been building upon chapter 8. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the, the first section in which we... Uh, where the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it, it is called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. That takes us back to the Old Covenant. Above it, Verse number eight. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But verse 11 starts with this beautiful phrase. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation... He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer uh, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. Everybody got that? Everybody on the same page? Like it just makes complete sense to you? Yeah, if so, you can go ahead and leave, you know. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but when I, I read certain places in the Bible... Um, as I live in this modern world of, of computers and, and rockets and, and 3D printers and medical advancement, I, I come across verses like these with a tremendous sense of foreignness. Like, like I could read it and reread it and reread it, and still what's being described here can seem very foreign and very strange, as if these verses are not part of uh, the, the world that I live in, even though. There's times we can watch a movie or see a TV show that talks about ancient Israel, and we're like, oh, so that's kind of what they were doing? And and I think when, when we come to verses like this that, that aren't part of the world that we currently live in, uh, we need to ask, what what do we do about that feeling? What do we do about that sense of, like, I, I don't understand how this plays itself out? And I think when when you read something that is old and strange and, and culturally foreign to, to our present world, there are at least three choices in how we can deal with uh, those differences and, and that distance that we feel. I think the first thing we can do is, is we can look at it and we can say, okay, the world of this text is so old and it's so foreign and it's so strange with its tents and its altars and its animal sacrifices and its ceremonial uh, ceremonies and, and washings that that really it has zero relevance for my life today. So I'll take a verse like this and I will just ignore it, and I will lean more toward contemporary thought because surely those days are way past us, and we don't need them anymore. Um, or you can say that well, those, those truths uh, that that really matter in life are are not historical truths, but are are timeless truths and. Uh, and, and so in every generation, uh, these truths get expressed in some form or fashion, in some way or another in the world. And so what I'll do is, is I'll try to look for some of these timeless truths in these verses, and perhaps I'll, I'll find something worth holding on to if I can make a connection to an eternal realm in these very ancient words. Or perhaps, number three, you can say, I believe that God governs history, and, and he's always revealing himself to the world, and, and, and by the way that he guides history from one period to to the next, and so, yes, old periods of, of history uh, are God's design, and they may be strange, and they may be foreign to me, but they're not irrelevant at all, and... That each period helps interpret the next, and it sheds light on what God is doing, even in in our present. And so, so yes, there are eternal truths that we can learn uh, from old and, and strange periods of history. But but no, this is not all that God is doing. Some will say that God is not dead just because the Old Testament um, moved to the New Testament, and and so history is not just. An unreal shadow of heaven that that God himself comes into history and he does things uh, and and we have to become part of what God is doing, and so we pay attention to chapters like like Hebrews chapter nine, and we say, okay, how does that connect to us right now today, because it is very much relevant and so so what I hope to do over the next few moments is is I want to show you why I think option three is is the way we should respond to times in the Bible when we, we come across things that seem very strange and foreign to us. And and really, uh, when we get into verses 1 through 7, all, all that we're seeing is the writer is helping us. Um, he, he wants us to see what we need to see. In fact, the description of, of the old period of history and, and the way that people the people of God worshipped in it. He says, verse 1 uh, he says there was an earthly sanctuary. So what he says. Verse 2, he says this sanctuary or this tabernacle uh, had an outer part called the holy place. And it had lampstand, it had tables, and it had the bread. Uh, and then verses 3 through 5, he will say behind that holy place was another curtain. And that curtain opened into what was called the most holy place or or the holy of Holies and, and within there was an altar and a chest with sacred relics and, and carved um, cherubim above the altar. So basically, these in a way, it's like a statue of these angels that were above the altar. And, and verse 6 describes that the priests entered the outer tent continually. They were always providing offerings and always providing sacrifices. And when we get to verse 7, it says, That that describes that the high priest, one guy, once a year would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the people. It was a very um, serious time for the people of God. In other words, in in this early stage that seems to me, at least, very strange, very foreign, uh, to be a a part of our history, uh, the way to God was very limited, very limited. In fact, his presence was sealed off behind the outer tent, and, and he could only be approached in atonement once a year, and only the high priest could go in. And, and in order for him to go in, he had to have uh, blood to make an offering, a sacrifice for the people, uh, and then for also for his own sins. In fact, uh, this was, if God did not uh, take the sins, uh, If God did not accept the offering, uh, one of the things they would learn to do is they would tie a rope around the high priest, and as he goes in, if that high priest dies, they just pull him back in. A lot of fun, right? Um, So when we get to verse 8, the writer starts his interpretation of of, of this old period of history. He says, he says, the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place is has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a tremendous, I'm sorry, which is a symbol for the present time. So so here comes in a tremendously important clue on how he wants us to relate this strange period of our history. He says that the outer tabernacle is a symbol for the present time. Okay? And now when we read that, we think of it as our present time. And when he writes it, he's saying his present time. Okay, in fact, in other words, the the ritual of this tent and the way that it stands between uh, the worshiper and and God's presence are characteristic of of the present time. And notice he's not saying that this old and strange and, and foreign ritual is irrelevant. He's He's not saying that, that history is unimportant and that all that matters is finding uh, eternal truths in the symbolism of it all. He says that, that this tent and these furnishings and, and this priestly ritual have directly to do with time, uh, with specifically a period of history. And he calls it the present time. And this, this tent is a symbol for the present time. Now... The question is: Is what does he mean by that, and and what does it have to do with our present time? And so let, let's just keep reading and let's listen to him explain what time he means and how the times uh, they are a changing. And so he wrote this in, in verse nine b. He says, he says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper. Okay? if you like to underline or circle in your Bible, that's an important phrase, cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but they deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until, then he's going to introduce a new phrase, the time of reformation. Until the time of reformation. So, so there's a transition that's introduced here. And he says in, in verse 9a, he says that the outer tent with its furnishings and its ministry, and it's separating the people from the holy of holies, and, and essentially separating the people from the presence of God was a symbol, a symbol of the present time. And then he says in verse 9b and in verse 10, he says that all of these external rituals that that relate to food and washing and drink and are, were only valid until the time of Reformation. And so, so the question is, what does this transition, when does this transition happen? When does the present time in verse 9 give way to the Reformation or the new order in verse 10? And, and the whole point of the, the book of Hebrews is to say that the coming of Christ... Okay? The, the the Son of God into the world is the ending of this present time. Uh, in fact, uh, it's the ending of this old and strange and this foreign way of, of relating to God. And when Christ comes, he begins the Reformation where Christ himself replaces the high priest. And he replaces the temple and he replaces... The blood and, and of the animals and the food and the drink rituals and thats that 's the entire point of of the letter of hebrews it 's to say Jesus changes it all when he shows up and, and so so the way to think about the old and the strange and the foreign is not to say that it 's irrelevant or to say that it's it 's just a shadow, but rather to say that it's it, that in that old period of history uh, under god 's sovereign design, everything was pointing to a new period of history that began with Jesus. And even, even when it says that when Jesus yields up His Spirit uh, on the cross, and it says that, that uh, the storms came and the earth shook, and it says that, that the, the curtain, the veil of the curtain in the temple was torn in two, that marked the beginning of everything changing for us. And so, so even when, when Jesus does that, how we relate to God changes. And the old period serves as a light that sheds on the meaning of this new period. And so he calls his time this present time because he sees himself, the writer sees himself in this time of transition from, from the old to the new. That the old system of relating to God through ritual and sacrifice. And, and this new order has been inaugurated in Christ and is replacing the old. That's why we today don't offer animals when you come into church to say, I need to cleanse my, I need to get forgiveness of my sins. Here's Betsy, my cow. We don't do that anymore. It's completely unnecessary. Let's. That's what we, Finley. that's what you would name the cow, Betsy. All right? She's like, Would't name Michael that it is okay and so so you and I live in this new period we, we live in what the writer will say is is the Reformation as he calls it and uh, and now the question is is why is that important right why is that relevant to us in our time of of computerized everything and remote starting cars and 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 having secular solutions to every, all of life's matters. And it's relevant because there's one thing that that modern life and scientific progress and, and psychological therapies and medical discoveries have not made the slightest advancement in solving. And that is, what is God's work and how people with stained hearts can come to Him? That's why these 14 verses are so important. Because when you and I, if we are separated from Christ, are trapped in sin, how can we approach a holy God? And then when you and I who are in Christ find themselves tempted or giving into temptation towards sin, how can we return to God? how can we have a relationship with him where that is as open as humanly possible and that it, and i think it's 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 remarkable that that when we spend time um in isolation or in or we spend time uh, through temptation to sin and uh it, no matter how that it is um we don't look at our society and say, well, how can I become better? Because we know we can't if we look at our society. We don't, we don't look at um, technology and we don't look at the wonders that we see in this world and say, okay, well, clearly that can help me uh, get back to God. Um, so, but what rests in us is this issue of how can I come to God when I know I have broken covenant with him? How how do I come to God when I feel the dirt and the stain of my own sin? How can I live transparently when my conscience is so defiled? And this is what the writer is dealing with. And and you could just pick whatever your sin is, right? Whether it whether the mechanism be a computer or a TV or a book or or our own gossip, or or, or our own um, pursuit of, of purpose and it not being found in Christ, whatever that is. And I think it's, it's it's remarkable that the basic problems of life never change. They don't. The circumstances change, but the basic problems of life, they, they don't change. We are humans and we have hearts that witness to our sinfulness and and testimonies of real guilt and 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 we know that that what keeps us away from God is not dirty hands or soiled clothes or or distance from an altar or or distance from a priest what keeps us from God is real sin echoing a, in a condemning spirit. And now, now that's what this the new period, that's, that's why the new period where we live is relevant. This is why, what the new period is about. God has done something in history. And it's not in some timeless realm of ideas, but God has done something in history that solves the deepest problem we have in our modern world. That the old period, the, the old covenant only pointed to the solution but didn't solve the problem. And so, so, so watch for the differences between the old present time and the time for reformation as we read uh, verses 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared, okay, so that's, that's the time of reformation and the ending of the present time. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, Okay? Which have now indeed comes through His death and His resurrection. Then through the greater and the more perfect tent, so not made with the hands of man, that's that's not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood. The securing an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. That's what our soiled Spirits need that's what our hearts need the most we need redemption, but not just redemption from sin to sin to sin We need a redemption that covers our spirits for eternity In all possible ways and this is what the author is telling us. This is what Christ does for if the blood of goats and bulls uh, And the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh that is ceremonial cleansing, but not real moral or spiritual cleansing. He says this, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without blemish to God, how much more will He purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so so in this old period of history, Okay, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year, taking the blood of animals. That's, that's verse 7. And now, why did he have to do that? Because the blood stood for the death of an animal, and the death was in the place of the death of the priest and, and the people. So God counted the blood of the animal as sufficient for cleansing the flesh. So you could be ceremonially... Ceremonially? uh, That sounds like a word. Um, You could be clean in the presence of God, though you were not intimately in the presence of God. But what about... This is what the, the writer is telling us. What about the guilty conscience of the priests? What about the guilty conscience of the people? That no animal could cleanse that. And here's the thing. The Jewish people knew it. You could go. You could go just to two places. You could go Isaiah fifty three. You could go Psalm fifty one, and they knew it, and we know it. And so, so in the time of Reformation, a new high priest comes. That that being Jesus, the Son of God, with a better sacrifice, being the sacrifice of Himself. And verse 40, uh, 14 says that the whole Trinity is involved in this process. It says that 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 the. Um, that through the eternal spirit, so through the Holy Spirit, he offered himself being the son without blemish to God being the father. That the result is that all the sins of his people in the old covenant were covered by the blood of Jesus. The animal sacrifices foreshadowed the final sacrifice of of God's son and the death of the son reaches back To cover the sins of God's people in the old period of time. And then, good news for us, that time of Reformation, as Jesus' sins covers the sins of the people then, it also covers all the sins of God's people today. And that is when we sing, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. That's what Jesus makes available to us. So what he does. We can start wrapping this up, Swan. So so here we are. In in this modern age of, of science and space travel and email and heart transplants and instant replay and, and TikTok, right? Um, and, and, and our problem is fundamentally the same. That TikTok is making us dumber. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Our problem is is fundamentally the same. That, that our conscience condemns us and makes us feel unacceptable to God. That's, that's the issue. That sin separates or alienates us from God. And we don't feel good enough to come to Him. And no matter how distorted our consciences are, that, this much is true. We're not good enough to come to Him on our own. We're not. We can do a plethora of things to try to make ourselves good enough. People in in our day will will at times punish themselves by cutting themselves for to make a to make a penance with God. They, they will they will um, in our past we people have given their children to rivers in order to be accepted by God we could we could give millions of dollars to the united way we could go serve in soup kitchens at thanksgiving and we could we could have a hundred forms of penance and, and self-injury and the result would still be the same that the stain remains and death terrifies us because we know that our conscience is Defiled not with external things like touching a corpse or a dirty diaper or or a piece of pork. Jesus says that, that what comes out of a man that's what defiles him, not what goes in. So we're defiled by by attitudes like pride and and self-pity and bitterness and lust and envy and jealousy and covetousness and apathy and fear. Fear. And verse fourteen says that, that these are dead works. All of those things are dead works and they have no spiritual life in them. They they don't come from new life. They they come from this place of death and they lead to death. And and that's why. That is why at times when we forget who Jesus is in our lives, that is why we feel helpless. And that is why we feel hopeless. Because the moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, we lose our anchor. We lose our foundation. That's why I think it's way back in uh, chapter 2 or, or chapter 3. He says, "He says, keep your eyes on Jesus lest we drift away from the message that we have heard. And so the only answer, and this is why we anchor ourselves to the word. The only answer in this modern age, as in every other age, is the blood of Christ. The role of Jesus. When your conscience rises up and it condemns you, where do you turn? Because most of the time, in my experience, when our consciousness rises up and tries to condemn, we turn to hopelessness. And we turn to shame. And we turn to guilt. And the problem with that way of living is that that's, it's not the gospel. The Holy Spirit may bring guilt for a moment to draw you to repentance. But you don't live there, your identity is not trapped there. Because if you are in Christ, you are, as it says, a new creation. That the old things have gone away and the new has come. And so it's weird when we talk about the blood of Christ because we don't, we don't think in, in our realm of sacrifices. We don't think through the way that that works. When we say the blood cleanses us, it seems very weird, very foreign, and only weird and foreign people do that kind of stuff, not here in the, the good old U.S. of A. But that's what we needed the most. So Christ comes to secure for us what the writer says is an eternal redemption. Eternal. Meaning without end. Without end. Redemption. Meaning you were you were no longer who you once were. You've been redeemed been given purpose. You've been given breath for the glory of God. And that's made possible only through Jesus. So the question is, will we be willing to turn to Him? Are we willing to say, when my guilt rises up in me, do I say, That's been covered by Jesus. When when my guilt tries to define me, do I listen to that whisper and say, no, 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 no. I'm covered by the blood of Christ. It's a struggle. I get that. But nonetheless, it's true. Jesus changes everything. I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we thank you for your love. We thank you for your care for us. We're mindful of all that you do to rescue and to cure us. And I pray that we would walk in that freedom today. Senior, Son's name that
1: we pray these things, Amen. I want to close with our new song. She has rise as we close this out and sing these words as a prayer right now. Just you and Him singing Waymaker.